But linked to that, not just are they hungry to learn, are they teachable? It's one thing to have a hunger to learn, but it's quite something else to have a posture that is teachable. And the latter comes through humility. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Jason Ballard. I'm here with Leesh Chinchilla, and today we've got a great guest coming all the way from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Miles Tolman is our guest today. Yeah, we're so excited to have him on the podcast. And a bit about Miles. He served with Nikki and Pippa Gumbel at HTB in London for a number of years before moving with his family to Malaysia. Today, he is the vicar of HTBB in Kuala Lumpur, and he's the executive director of Alpha Asia Pacific. I enjoy every time I chat with Miles. He's an incredibly sharp and compelling leader. And like you said, he's leading a church. So it's a new church plant in the last decade, and it's grown in incredible ways uh, and really driven by evangelism, growth through evangelism. So that was really exciting to talk to him and then talk a bit more about like, leadership development. They've got a college there where they're training up pastors and clergy to plant churches all over the Asia Pacific region. And it's the hub for Alpha in that area. So they're, they're dealing with thousands and thousands of Alpha courses in dozens of different languages and it's incredible ministry and Miles leads it uh, with humility and he's so sharp and he loves Jesus and I just so enjoyed chatting with him so excited to share this with everyone that's listening wow that's amazing yeah let's jump right into your conversation with Miles Tolman well hey uh, I am here with my friend Miles Tolman and Miles it is such an honor really it feels like an honor to have your time and that you to join us and uh, it's just such a privilege to be with you I wish it was in person but here we are over the internet, which is the way we're doing almost everything today. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for joining us. And for those that don't know you as well as I do, can you just give us a little window into your world, where you are, what you're pastoring, your work with Alpha Family? Give us the whole picture. Yeah, uh, well, thanks, Jason, so much for having me. And hi, everyone who's either watching or listening to this. Yeah, my, my name's Miles. I am uh, the vicar. That means I'm the sort of Anglican senior pastor of a church in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia called HTBB, Holy Trinity Bukit Bintang. And um, prior to that, I was the uh, associate vicar, that's the executive pastor at HTB in London under Nicky Gumbel. And I, I served there under him for seven years. And then back in 2014, um, we were invited by the bishop here in West Malaysia to plant a city center church, resource church, in KL, um, which we did. And then we also set up what we call the Alpha Asia Pacific Hub. So like a regional HQ to oversee the work of Alpha right across Asia. And um, then we also did a satellite of, the, of a the theological college to help train up pastors for planting across Malaysia and the region. Oh, I love it, man. There's so much <laughs> I want to unpack there. Okay, let me just unpack a few of the ideas. So you said um, we should slow down through that. So let's talk about the work with uh, the church itself. So you you, uh, yeah. you guys moved there in 2014. And yeah. uh, to give us a picture of where it's at today in terms of like services. I know that you're doing it in multiple languages. Give us a bit of a picture and window into what the expression of HTBB is right now. Yeah, so, well, pre-pandemic, <laughs> um, we were um, meeting uh, on top of a shopping mall in the centre of the city. Uh, Malaysia is a Muslim country, so you can't get permission to build 
new churches. So mm. you have to take existing buildings and then consecrate them as a church. And um, oh, we meet, so on the eighth floor of this shopping mall, right at the top, and it's two little buildings. We started in a smaller room, first of all, which used to be uh, an old theatre. We outgrew that, and then we moved next door into what used to be um, uh, KL's biggest hip-hop nightclub, but it, it got busted for drug dealing. So we, we moved into there, and that then became our sort of main larger hall. And um, we were running uh, four services on a Sunday, um, physically, three in English, uh, one in Mandarin, and then uh, on a Tuesday, we run a service in Burmese, because we have a lot of refugees from Myanmar mm. around the city centre area. And um, and now at the moment we're in lockdown here, so we can't meet physically. So we, um, like most of you guys as well, we have online church now mm. um, uh, uh, on a Sunday, and then people can consume content from our YouTube channel during the week. Walk me through the implications of being uh, leading a Christian church in a Muslim nation. What does that mean? practically in terms of some of the implications for you, but then even I'm thinking about some of the social and even spiritual dynamics at play there. Yeah, well, it's, it's not always straightforward, as you can imagine. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 if people come from that particular faith background, it's illegal for them to hmm. uh, convert. It's illegal to evangelize. Um, and... Um, you have to be just assume that whatever you're doing, that there may be people watching. So mm -hmm. you you just have to be, you know, sensitive to that. Um, there's the the best way to serve that part of the community is actually through uh, family life ministries, which is mm -hmm. why our marriage course has um, proven very popular. Um, you know, Nikin Salali's marriage course and mar marriage preparation course, even the parenting course. Um, there's there's a great hunger for that. And uh, in East Malaysia, where it's a little bit more laid back, even the local government there uh, subsidizes people in the community to come and attend the marriage courses. Uh, so that's wow. that's a way to serve that community. Prayer is huge here. Uh, one thing that you know, whatever we've done to serve the church in Asia, um, we've learned and received 10 times more. Mm. And, you know, one thing that um, ministering now for six and a half years in this region teaches you is that the Asian church knows how to pray. And mm. um, the battle that we face is um, not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. We're, we know that, spiritual forces. And that's just as true in Canada as it is in Asia. Um, it may be a little more unseen, but it's just as much there. And, mm. and having prayer um, really sort of built into the, the fabric um, of, of the life of the church is so, so important. And that's definitely something which wherever the Lord may one day take us, we're, we're, we're taking that with us as one of the mm. big lessons. Wow. And you use this word like, we want to plant, I think you described it as a city center resource hub. And then you described having a theological college and other kind of extensions of the church going out. What does it mean in terms of what you intended to do and practically what you're doing to go with, to, yeah, what do you mean by planting specifically a resourcing church? Yeah, well, um, 
I think when you, you know, when you plant a church, you, you, you end up replicating who you are, not mm. just implementing what, what was on the plan. And, you know, we came out of HDB and HDB plants churches, has a track record of planting churches across the UK. And um, therefore, it's kind of in our DNA. So we always came with the intention to plant and mm. to plant pregnant churches, churches that then would go on and, uh, and plant. But because we didn't know how long we were going to be here, and we still don't know, um, we, you know we, we came out and you know, we could have been thrown out within two years. We, I mean, we just, within a year, we just don't know. So we arrived and um, therefore, from day one, had to be super intentional about raising up other leaders. And uh, part of that is... You know, you have to give away leaders, hmm. and that's one way in which we can resource the wider diocese uh, through uh, not just planting churches, but also um, building leaders and giving them away, hmm. and also through uh, you know with the Alpha Hub, so we can help train and equip uh, other churches, not just in Malaysia but around the region, uh, how to run Alpha. And we've done that. We, we about four thousand churches a year around. Um, the region are now running Alpha, and we help train and coach them. Um, mm. But I think it's a, it's a principle of the kingdom to to give away, isn't it? Always, and actually, unless you're giving away, your hands are not open. Yeah. You can only give with an open hand. So if you give and your hand is open, then generally that also means your hands open to receive more. So we mm. came with this intentionality to give away, and I was really struck by um, reading the Book of Acts again, which is if if you look at um, the life of Saint Paul. The very first um, recorded overseas mission that was intentionally planned by a local church, we read of in Acts 13, right? So the church at Antioch, they have a prayer meeting, the Spirit speaks to them, and they decide to send a little team out Mm. on mission. They send Paul, they send Barnabas, and John Mark as the sort of bag carrier. And um, that first overseas mission is to Asia Minor. So they go to Cyprus. Uh, and then from there, they go on to Pisidian Antioch. Then they go to places like Iconium, Lystra, Derb, etc. And then they come back to Antioch. And they, they, they had a little bit of fruit on that mission. But um, if you read Acts 13, they also had a really tough time. Mm. Um, it was pretty tough going. In fact, what, at one point, if you remember, um, Paul is stoned and left for dead. Um, but thankfully, he survives. So they get a little bit of fruit, but a, a lot of aggro. That's Acts 13. But by the time you get to Acts 19, Paul has then gone to Ephesus. He's set up a a hub there. Um, And he's taken the the Hall of Tyrannus, which is like the town hall, because in the middle of the day, 12 p.m. till 4 p.m., nothing happened because it was too hot in Ephesus. So during that time, he takes uh, in that window the the town hall and he sets up this centre for mission and discipleship to Mm. reach the last to train them, equip them, disciple them, and then to send them out into the harvest field. And there's this little throwaway line in Acts 19 that says, and he did that for two years, that then says that as a result of this, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole of Asia. And by that, I mean Asia Minor. So in other words, no matter how gifted, talented, anointed Paul and Barnabas were, what they could not do on their own in Acts 13, they managed to do by Acts 19, by raising up leaders and sending them out. 
giving them away. And actually, that, you know, that links to, you know, when Jesus says to the 12 um, uh, uh, that, that the, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send mm. out workers. That word for to send out is ekbalo. And that's the same word that's used throughout the New Testament for when Jesus or the disciples cast out demons, um, ekbalos, mm. to cast them out. In other words, oh, I love the, that. Command, the command to us is to raise up intentionally and send out leaders with, this in, with the same sort of authority that comes in the name of Jesus, with the same sense of urgency, with the same end goal of to see lives set free and transformed as when Jesus cast the demons out. So I think, what does it mean to be a resource church? It means you've got to be serious about giving away and believe mm. that um, the Lord is no man's debtor and whatever you give away, you'll get back more in return. And wow. so give away leaders, give away church plants, give away expertise, um, give away your prayers, praying for others. Um, and I think it also means becoming friends with people. Um, mm. If you really want to bless other churches around you and have a, a, a big kingdom vision, then it comes through friendship. And that's something you're so brilliant at, Jason, just coming alongside people and being friends, not because we think that we have anything of greater wisdom or expertise necessarily to give, but, you know, where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. And, you know, whatever power or principality comes at us, if we stand shoulder to shoulder, we win. We know that. So um, I think it means being intentional about making friends as well. I, I'm oh, I waffling now. Sorry, Jason, I'm going on and on. No, I love it. It's a big I think question. it's bang on. No, I think it's bang on because you did more than just answer the question. You began to say, what does it look like? And I feel like there's a lot of people that say, yeah, we want to help other churches. But what that costs and what that feels like is sometimes um, not talked about a ton. And, you know, those are practical things. And I've been wrestling with this question. What does it feel like? to be a church planting church? What does it feel like? And I think you think it's going to feel like sweet. This is amazing. But I think it feels like sending some of your best friends out and sending your best worship leader and the team and being like, we're back to scratch again. And as a leader, and I've just watched this with HTB, watch them again and again deplete their team by sending their best. And it's, yes. I'm just watching from a distance and it's almost heartbreaking. But then you yes. see the fruit because right now we're talking about you're one of several churches, most of them around the UK, that are multiplying other churches that came out of HTB. And it's a powerful it's hugely story. Costing. It's hugely costly. And, and I think you're right, something that maybe we don't talk about enough um, because we want people to do it. And if you're watching and listening to this, I really hope the Lord does place on your heart a desire to plant. Um, but yes, there is a cost. Uh, the, the blessing far, far outweighs the cost. Mm. But there is a cost. And, you know, e even when you think, think, go back to Paul again, when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, um, he remembers their tearful goodbye. Um, and, you know, when, when he was with the leaders of Ephesus, they then, they, they then cry together when he leaves. Mm. You know, there's always a cost of moving on or sending out. Um, it's far, far easier um, and comfortable to stay together. Um, mm. But that's not really the way of the kingdom. Mm. 
Um, I want to hear more about the story. So 2014, you guys plant. Yes. Take me to like 2012 or like take me to like the seed of this vision and then yes. and then actually moving there because I know a lot Brilliant. was going well, on there. My um, calling to, to Asia began when I was an undergraduate. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I was you know, blessed enough to have the opportunity to uh, sort of go on an exchange and spend uh, a semester um, studying at Wasada University in Tokyo. And um, I remember one night, very clearly still, like it was yesterday, I was lying on, it, on, on the tatami mat on the floor with like a brick under my head, which is what you get to sleep on as a student uh, at Wasada. And um, I was wide awake, I think it was jet lag. And I felt the Lord suddenly really speak clearly to me. Yeah, you know, rarely happens. And what he said, really confused me and I thought that can't be God surely because what I sensed all, all I sensed the Lord say was this time next year you will minister to Muslims in China and I just thought well there aren't any Muslims in China um I you know, clearly it must be the jet lag hmm. but I couldn't get it out of my head well at the end of that uh, academic year when I finished at Wasada I uh, came back from Tokyo, went, went back to Oxford, and somebody said um, at the church where I attended in Oxford, they said, oh, have you heard there's this new girl that's arrived at Christchurch College. Um, she's planning a, a missions trip to China at the end of this year. She's called Amy. I thought, well, I'll go and chat to her. So I, I somewhat cheekily just went and found her and introduced myself and said, tell me, tell me about this uh, trip you're planning. And she said, well, it's, it's going to... Um, Xinjiang province in the northwest of China uh, to to minister to the Uyghurs who are Central Asian in their ethnic origin and are Muslims and my sort of jaw dropped so I shared mm. with her what I just recently <laughs> felt the Lord say and she said wow um, I'm, I, I'm trying to recruit a team of eight I've got seven mm. you're in you're number eight so um, and, and, and then we, we went and spent a couple of months um, at the end of that year in, in China and and that really was the beginning of the Lord placing Asia upon my heart. But it was many years later that eventually this, this opportunity came up, uh, the invitation from the bishop here to plant a desire, because the demand for Alpha was growing so much around the region. We needed a, a sort of regional HQ, and all the pieces really came together, including this calling that the Lord put on my heart years beforehand. The only problem was we, we didn't really know anybody in, a, in, I didn't really know anybody in Malaysia, apart from one young woman who studied in the UK, briefly done an internship at HTB. She'd loved Alpha here. She'd gone back to KL to start work there, but had run a couple of Alphas for her friends at home. And they got this sort of Tuesday night prayer group that had birthed off the back of that, about 20 of them. And they were praying every Tuesday night after work for two years, Lord, why have you brought us together? What's it for? So I contact her, share the vision. She goes, well, why don't you Skype into the connect group share it with them and we'll pray about it which they did and they said yeah we think this is why the lord brought us together i some sarah and my wife and i somehow managed to convince 10 people to leave leave their life in london and to fly to the other side of the world to, wow. to plant this church in kl so there was 10 of us coming over there were 20 of us here so we started with 30 of us and we began meeting as a church in somebody's house and we were a house church to begin with and eventually it sort of doubled to, to 60. And then we, we said, 
we, we need a big bang launch date, which is when we could move into this little theatre on top of the shopping mall. And that first Sunday came, we invited everybody that we, that we knew, we invited, we wrote to all the pastors nearby saying, we're starting this church. Um, hmm. um, we, we'd love you if you can to, to be there, just to support us. We'd, we'd love your, your support and friendship. And, um, and, and we packed out the hall. We had 300 people there for that first Sunday. And I thought, this is it. This is why the Lord's called us. It's revival. And then, of course, the next Sunday came around and there was virtually nobody there. And, and then the reality <laughs> hits. And at, and at that point, we thought, OK, now, now the real work begins. And, and, then, and then we started um, 10 days later with our first Alpha. And we've just run it relentlessly back to back three times a year in English. Now three times a year in Mandarin. Uh, once a year, uh, Youth Alpha. Um, and um, so thank you, Jason. And, 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 then, and then we've just seen a lot of people come to Christ wow. because, you know, there are seven and a half billion people in the world. Over five billion of them live in Asia. It's wow. the least reached continent on the planet, about, only about 8% Christian. And, um, you know, you, you, you proclaim the good news here, you're going to just inevitably have a lot of people that don't know the Lord hearing it. So um, we've had a very busy time baptizing new believers because the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the workers are few. And um, it's, it's just a, you know, it's a different challenge here than it is, say, in the West. You know, mm. in, in the West, when you share the good news, because there's a little bit of baggage, you have to stress that it's good mm -hmm. news. Whereas here in Asia, the church is so young, it's just genuinely news. Um, and wow. people are interested because <laughs> they've never heard the gospel before. And, um, and, and, and then the challenge becomes not helping people unlearn unhelpful baggage from the Christian past. The challenge here is discipling people that literally know nothing hmm. about the Christian faith and coming often from family backgrounds that are very uh, antagonistic against it, Taoist. Buddhist, Hindu, uh, whatever it may be, and um, and dealing with tricky family dynamics, dealing with um, uh, spiritual strongholds that that may be linked to to that that um, background, and um, and then trying to grow strong disciples, mm. life on life, so that they 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 can be ready to ek balo to send out. Um, so that's that's kind of the in a nutshell, the story so far. I love hearing it, man. It's so exciting. And um, I've been able to visit in person and it's such a vibrant church. Um, I think it's hard for me to articulate um, just the scope and reach when you mention just being the hub for Asia Pacific region for Alpha. And so we're talking about a broad region, tons of languages, tons of different dynamics. And so you're leading that you're leading the local church and you're not just like high level leading, like you're preaching on Sundays, you're engaged. You've got the leadership college and uh, you're part of the global leadership team of Alpha. And, and it seems like you're enjoying yourself. Like, I'm just really curious, Miles, like, I, I, it's not one of the how do you do it questions. I, I, I wanna be a bit more specific. I wanna, I wanna know how, what do you do when the weight feels too much? Like you've got three decisions on your plate that are so big and you just got bad news, so, something that you're hoping for, and then you still got to get up on Sunday and lead the people 
into the presence of God. Just talk to me a little bit about what, how you've learned to create, um, I don't know if the word strength or the ability to, to, to yeah, how do, you, how do you function in that space and still be present with the needs right in front of you? <laughs> well, I mean, a couple of things. I, I really believe in sharing leadership. Um, mm. So yes, ultimately, as the leader, it's right that you carry the can. But in, in making those decisions, um, uh, I, I, I suppose I'm quite a consultative leader, maybe, you might say. And um, actually, that's quite, you know, the, if you look at Asian models of leadership, it, it's, it's a bit hard sometimes for us in the West to, to tr truly understand them, because mm. Asian leadership is both more consultative and less consultative. Mm. So it's more consultative in, in that there's always a moment where you sit around the table and you listen. They, they, they have this sort of town hall concept of, of, of leadership, as it were, and, and you listen and you consult and uh, you give people the opportunity to speak. But then it's also not a democracy, the Asian mm. concept of, of leadership, by and large. And, um, and, and that's okay, because um, we're servants in a kingdom of God, not the democracy of God. Um, and then once the Asian way of sitting around the table and, and listening, and you'll notice the Asian tables are always round, they're mm. never rectangular, that's for a reason. Um, you then, when the leader makes the decision, then the culture is um, uh, total loyalty and you get behind that decision. Um, but what it means is that, therefore, you don't abrogate your responsibility to make the final call, but do embrace um, the, uh, the communal aspect of the discernment of the de in the decision. Hmm. Um, so that, that, that shares it slightly. Um, and actually, I think this is wisdom because, you know, even Google, who, you know, Google, they measure everything. And maybe somebody's watching this that, that listens to Google, that works for Google. Um, they, they, they've measured all of their teams. And um, what is it? What traits or characteristics or mm. way of working do their consistently uh, high performing teams have in common? Because you know, for project teams, they'll assemble a project team and they'll disassemble it. Another project team, they might assemble another one and then disassemble. And they've, they've sliced and diced the data every which way. And it's not, interestingly, that the highest performing teams are not the ones that have the largest number of highest performing individuals in it. And they don't all, um, the leaders of those teams aren't necessarily similar in how they lead or, or their personality or or their strengths profile. But the only thing they could find in similarity for the highest performing teams is that in team meetings, all of the team members spoke for roughly about the same amount of time. Hmm. That's the only thing they could measure that, had, that they had in similarity. In other words, it was a culture in which everybody felt like they could be heard, hmm. even if they didn't have a lot to contribute. Um, and somehow that culture produced a, a better performing team. Uh, so I always, I always joke with my, my team and say, therefore, even if you open your mouth, even if what you say is rubbish, it adds value. Mm. Because it helps, it helps reinforce the culture of 
if you have, you know, if you've got something to say, you can say it. It will be listened to. It might not be taken on board, but it will be listened to, and that means you you, you encourage the the idea flow, uh, this this sharing of wisdom, and it it might just be that one meeting, you say something that is totally Holy Spirit inspired and wise. Um, so that's the Asian way of sort of discerning the the leadership. Uh, the decision making but then how do you carry the weight if you're in a bad position or 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 if you've had a tough week how do you then get up on at the front on Sunday and lead um you you can't fake it as a Mm. leader right um people have this amazing and I don't think we we even people that are either new to faith or maybe don't even have a faith you don't underestimate people's ability to instinctively sniff out um when it's inauthentic Hmm. i I don't know whether it's just the way that as a civilization we've evolved we people i think have this amazing sense to to work out when somebody's faking it so Hmm. you you don't have to don't ever fake it as a leader i would say that's the golden rule um not just doing to others as you have them doing to you the other golden rule is just don't fake it you know i think Fake it till you make it. That's, that's terrible advice. <laughs> don't don't fake it. Um, but that means that we do need to have that moment, even on a Sunday morning, of communing with the Lord and just giving it all over to Him, and once again just being filled with gratitude for His His love mm. and His being filled with His Spirit. And I saw, we saw that in Sandy Miller. He could have the biggest decisions or leadership weight on his shoulders. But with a little bit of time with the Lord in the morning, he'd come out of the vicarage whistling with a smile on his face. Yeah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hmm. Nehemiah 8.10. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If things aren't going that well, if we've served with integrity if we've been kind and honest and we've done our best, if it's not going well, then trust the Lord. He's working something out bigger than we can see and, um, and just have some fun. It's really mm. important to just to have some fun and, to, and, and that sort of mindset helps you carry the weight a little bit more lightly. Mm. Um, and, and this is not just to do with the size of your ministry. You know, it, whatever the Lord's given you to do um, comes with responsibility and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you don't have to be doing something regionally or nationally or, you know. Um, in fact, I'm quite, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? I'm quite passionate about um, leaders staying in their lane. So stewarding that which the Lord has asked you to do. Mm. And if he's asked you to steward leading a church in a little village, uh, of I don't know of three hundred people, then stay in your lane. Do that as faithfully as you can. Don't dream about what might be next or bigger. Or uh, because if we're faithful with the little, the Lord loves that. That's all He asks us to be. And then generally He gives us more to be faithful with. But just what has He given you? What keys to the kingdom has He given you? Mm. Put. Use that key. Don't be looking for other people's keys or sticking it in someone else's lock. Uh, you know, what, what keys to the kingdom is he giving you? And, um, 
and and when he opens the door, no one can shut it, and when he shuts the door, no one can open it, and 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 stay in your lane. Um, but even if it's a, it feels like a small responsibility, right? A, a small remit that he's giving you right now. Uh, I understand even the weight of responsibility or the severity of spiritual battle that can come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we all have to wear our responsibility lightly, and that yeah. means getting spending time with the Lord, being filled with His joy. Joy is so important. A lightness and a, and a, and a joy can help us carry an amazing amount and, and, and share it, share the leadership responsibility. Miles, I'm when you're looking again. for a young leader, um, maybe not young in age, but young, maybe in experience, what are you looking for? What are the traits or characteristics or demeanor or skills that you're looking for? Because you guys are, are actively training, recruiting within Alpha and within church plants and at HTBB, what are you what are you kind of looking for? Like, what what are kind of the markers of a leader you're saying I could get behind him, I could get behind her? <laughs> well, I I think there are some there are some tangibles and there are some intangibles that we're looking for. Um, I, I first of all, we're definitely looking for character. That's the most important piece, right? So. Um, uh, are, are they hungry to learn? But linked to that, not just are they hungry to learn, are they teachable? Hmm. It's one thing to have a hunger to learn, but it's quite something else to have a posture that is teachable. And the latter comes through humility. Um, the Bible in one year reading this morning from James 3 was, was this, that... Um, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, to be humble is to be wise. Hmm. Because without humility, you can't learn. And unless you're learning, you're not going to be wise. So it's that teachability that's, that's really important. And that comes from a humble posture. Um, trustworthiness. Also, um, people who are serving already. Don't think, oh, could, could they serve? Generally, leaders are doing it, even if they've not been appointed. Um, they're serving already. They're, their whole life is, is, is orientated towards serving the Lord and serving others. So who's just naturally getting stuck in and serving? Um, who's teachable? Um, and then there are the intangibles of, of where do you see the Spirit's anointing on somebody? Mm. And that, that, again, is a, a gift of spiritual discernment. Um, in terms of competency, yes, they've got, to, you know, com- they've got to be competent, but skills can be taught. Character can be developed, but character development takes a lot longer than skill upgrading, as it were. Um, and so, but also, I'm, I'm looking for some level of intelligence. Um, I don't mean IQ. Um, uh, or qualifications, but there are lots of different types of intelligence. There's emotional intelligence. Um, there's, um, yeah, mental intelligence. But there's spiritual uh, aptitude or intelligence. Just, just somebody who's got something. Um, they've got nous of of some kind. Hmm. Um, and uh, and I think somebody who 
um, can get along with others. And they, they don't have to, uh, that doesn't mean that they have to be as nice as pie. You know, sometimes strong leaders can be, um, sometimes uh, uh, have some sharp edges that, that just need to be filed down a little bit. <laughs> but, but something that, that somebody who doesn't just want to be a lone ranger, somebody that, that naturally would, would be happy to work in a team. And I think formation is best done in a team because if you just meet one-on-one mentoring a leader, um, I don't know, they, during those one-to-ones, somebody can fake it. But when mm. you when you disciple or you invest in somebody live, in action, doing ministry in the context of a team, when the pressure comes and you're rubbing up against other team members, then character flaws will come out you can't hide that so it's best to craft people in the context of a team so it's people that can work in a team um and actually that's what jesus did right um jesus um what's really interesting about the 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 12 disciples that he chose he looked for those who were ready and willing for immediate deployment Hmm. come follow me james and john left their nets in the boat and just followed so they were ready for immediate ministry as part of their development. But he also developed them in the context of a team. And sometimes you, you see these amazing moments in the gospel when they slightly rub each other up the wrong way. Um, uh, or, or, or they try and get ahead. You know, when, when, when you come into your kingdom, can I, can I sit at your right hand and, and my brother on the other side? Or, or, or what is it to him if, if he doesn't die? Or, you know, the, 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 these team moments are where the really good learning opportunities come. Hmm. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that so much, man. I uh, I just really respect your leadership and just the way that you, and just in the way that it's informed so much through the scriptural story. I just love that so much. Um, obviously, COVID's impacted everyone differently in different regions. And I know that it's dramatically impacted your ability to do ministry in terms of in the same model, I should say. Uh, what are some of the things you've learned as a church, pragmatically, or maybe just personally as a leader, or as a follower of Jesus, like what are some of the things that you've learned in this season that you want to take with you? Because we talk a lot about what's going to come back or what's going to look like afterwards. What are some of the things you say, I'm not, I want to take this lesson or take this value or take this new rhythm with me through to whatever the future looks like? Yes. Well, um, a couple of things personally, and then a couple of things for the church. Um, I, this links to that point about how do you, carry leadership responsibility and and heavy burdens as a leader. I think the single greatest lesson for me as a leader during this pandemic season is I've been reminded loud and clearly that ultimately I am not in control. Hmm. The Lord is in control. It's his church and his promise is I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, I can have the best plans that in the world, but I, I did not see this one coming. Nobody saw this pandemic coming to this extent. And it's just a reminder that the Lord reigns and we don't. And after the p- pandemic, I want to take that truth with me mm. and never forget it. That w- w- whatever the next season of ministry looks like for me, uh, just it's healthy to remember that, that I'm not in, ultimately I'm not in control, the Lord is. Um, so that's been a great lesson. Um, I, I think for the, um, uh, and, and that in itself then leads us to prayer more, I think. 
So I know we've definitely prayed more as a church. I've definitely prayed more as an, as an individual during this pandemic season. And, and I, want to, I, want, I don't want to lose that. Um, and then as a church, what have we learned? I think we've learned that there are some things that... So online church is here to stay, definitely. Uh, all of us need to think that we, we've now moved from um, a church with a physical campus to a church with a physical and a digital campus. And don't, don't shut down that new campus mm. um, when, the, when the pandemic's over. Keep it open. Um, what, what have we learned? Well, I think we've all learned, haven't we, that um, online church is, uh, is powerful in terms of its reach um, and for potential evangelism. You know, a lot of research is now coming, being published now on online church and online evangelism. Um, the hybrid church study by Barna from the US, um, the McCrindle Future of the Church in Australia study that's come out. Uh, we've done an early, a global early adopter study for Alpha Online. Um, Alpha Malaysia here have just done a, a study of faith in the digital world. And all, all of the research is kind of saying the same thing. And it, and it, it sort of resonates with our experience as pastors in this season, which is people find it easier to invite uh, non-church-going friends to Christian stuff when it's online, hmm. even easier than if it's face-to-face in a building. So for invitation, if your church has an invitational culture, uh, the digital piece is good and we don't want to lose that. The other thing that we've learned is that um, you, you, you can do connection online. Um, people say, yeah, but if you're connecting with others online, isn't it somehow inauthentic or false? Well, we all know that if you meet somebody face to face, it can be also inauthentic and false, right? You've got the id and the ego, and you can project your ego uh, even when you're meeting somebody face to face, not just online. But that's why in Romans 12, um, Paul says that our love should be sincere and mm. hypocritos, without a mask. Um, and um, so, so you can have genuine or you can have inauthentic connection, both physically and online. Uh, it's equally true for both. But, so we find that people do connect. They do open up online because they feel somehow a bit safer because of the distance. They can be vulnerable very quickly. But the friendship is harder, maybe in the mm. long run, without yeah. physically seeing each other. And people do long to meet together again for worship face-to-face. But, and here's the interesting thing, this is even with people who've been a Christian for a long time, they say, yeah, I'd rather worship physically with others, but I see online content is really important for, to add to, not Mm. instead of, but to add to my own discipleship and spiritual growth. Therefore, the minute we can think of our Online campus is not just producing Sunday services, but good midweek discipling content as well. Then I think we start to get the physical and the digital campus working synergistically together, um, and it's super important. So I think think we've those are some of the things that we've learned. But I'm sure everybody's learned very similar oh, things already. It's so helpful to hear it articulated, man. I just so appreciate you and the work you're doing. And thank you so much for giving your time to chat with us today. It just means so much. Thank you, Jason. And, and one just last scripture. It just may be a prophetic word for this season that um, 
well, it's, maybe it's just for me, but I really felt the Lord saying, which is Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It's when Zechariah gets, give, the Lord gives him a vision. There's a vision of two, um, two angels, and they've got, like, got all the measuring gear with them. And um, one angel says to the other, go and tell that young man, Zechariah, uh, what we're doing, which is they're measuring how sort of long and wide um, Jerusalem is. And in a way, that's kind of like this, that's 2020 in a nutshell, right? The church has been measured. It's been a test. You know, it, it's, it's really measured what state we're in. You know, we've been, we've been measured up during this testing time. Uh, but there's an encouragement because it says, t- tell him that we're, we're, we're measuring because what we're about to move into, uh, the angel says, is a time that um, Jerusalem will be a city without walls, a mm. city without walls, because such will be the great number of people and livestock in it. And if you think about it, you know, the, the people were... Uh, the, uh, the, the inhabitants of the city and the livestock was that's their resources that's their wealth and you know I just wonder whether actually that is a word for this season yes we've been measured up and in some places I know for, for us we've been found a bit short or, or not quite deep enough or whatever mm. but the encouragement is get ready because wow. what's coming is a time when you will be a a, a city without walls, a church without walls, and this is why we need the digital piece as well, uh, because such will be the large number of people and livestock resource within. So, you know, may that be as true for Canada as it is for Asia. Amen. Amen. Well, a big thank you to you, Miles. We so appreciate that word and all that you shared. What a great conversation. And a big thank you to you for listening and joining in with us for another week. If you're wanting to connect with our team at all, we'd love to hear how this podcast is serving you and how we could continue to tune the content to meet the felt needs you have. Feel free to reach out to us at contact at cCLn.ca. We cannot wait to hear from you. All right, for next week's episode, Jason is sitting down with pastors Damien and Julie Bassett. Damien and Julie are the lead pastors of Hillsong Canada in Toronto. They are the sweetest duo, faithful leaders with an incredible story. You do not want to miss it. And you can find their conversation with Jason here next week. Now, before we go, we want to share a quick conversation Jason had with a friend of his, Jeremiah Rabel. We'll let them close us off today. Well, hey, friends, I am here with Jeremiah Rabel. He is a church coach for the Alberta and Northwest Territory District for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which I am so impressed that I said that. It took me three or four tries. Everything else has been edited out. But your work with 128 churches, over 400 leaders, coaching them, supporting them. You guys have seen incredible growth happening within the district. And you've got a new project, some resource and a course that you've built called New Metrics for Church Growth. Uh, and I'd just love to hear more about it. So tell us about this resource and why you've made it available for free for everyone. This is a conversation that we've been having with our church leaders on what do I do in COVID? One of the things that I often hear is it feels like we're flying blind. Church leaders, you know, they can't have the gathering or they have limited gathering. And the way that we used to gauge ministry effectiveness just 
doesn't work the same like it used to. You know, like people would come in regularly and you'd see them, you'd, you know, they'd start by crossing their arms during the service. And then over time, you know, you'd see them smiling. There was just metrics that we would use to help us go, okay, I think things are going okay. We still had those, you know, hard metrics of people coming to Christ and attendance and giving. And then we had these other kind of soft metrics and all of that is out the window except for giving. You know, churches, leaders will tell me, well, giving's good. <laughs> I don't know where my people are, but giving's good. <laughs> and so, you know, we call that like the gas gauge has got three quarters of a tank or whatever, but everything else, if you imagine that you're in a plane, you know, I, I can see the, the sky, I can see the ground, but all the other gauges that I use to kind of determine, you know, my altitude, my trajectory are gone. So what do we do? So we, we're starting this conversation called New Metrics uh, for Churches in COVID to help mm. them understand. Here's four things that, that we can look at to help gauge our ministry effectiveness. Hmm. Well, here's the thing. I just was so encouraged that as a district, you guys put so much thought and work into doing this, and it's starting a very important conversation. And I just want to do my part through this podcast to help bring attention to Canadian resources. I think there's a very awesome global conversation around churches and there's a really unique opportunity we have as Canadians to speak to one another. And so uh, I hope that we have the opportunity to profile a lot of great resources. This is one of them. I just really like you, Jeremiah. I like your posture. You're for the church. And so uh, we're going to have a link to this course and to find out more in the show notes. And if people want to just go ahead right to it, where can they find uh, more about this? Yeah, we've been having great conversations with leaders all across the nation. It's Canadian-based. It's for Canada. So you can uh, find that conversation on abnwt.com, or you can even download a free course that we have on a website that we're using right now called albiston.com, A-L-B-I-S-T-O-N.com. And this whole conversation on these four metrics is there. We're starting cohorts. We're doing learning communities. Why? because we want to see your church grow by reaching lost people. Sweet. Hey, well, I've got you on. Can I ask you a question? You're chatting with a lot of churches. What is the most encouraging thing you're seeing happen right now? I think there's lots of chat about challenges, and I think it's important to chat about those. And people are feeling deflated, and you're totally right. But you're also listening. What is the most encouraging stuff you're hearing right now? When churches adopt this posture of blessing the community, so we had one one church in southern Alberta, they won an award in their town for the most helpful organization during wow. COVID. He mm-hmm. had the mayor contact him, he had city councillors, he had one person from the Chamber of Commerce said, you have changed how I feel about God and the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Hmm, I love it. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for the work that you do to serve churches. And I just want to thank you um, for making this available across the board. It's so powerful. I think when like you're part of a network of churches called the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, Alberta, Northwest Territories, that's awesome. That's where you're paid. You get to serve those churches. But then for you to take the work you're doing there, make it available to other churches. I just think it's really powerful. And it's the only way forward for us as the church in Canada, be open-handed, give these things away. So thanks for doing that. 